On the show today, I'm joined by Will Smith, the two-time Emmy Award-winning writer of comedies Veep and The Thick of It. We discuss both those shows, as well as the devastating news that Donald Trump has been elected President of the United States, which hit us only hours before this was recorded. So listen in for all that and more on today's episode of Talk To Me. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. We come from a slightly more somber place in the world now. We, uh, we did actually release another episode earlier today, which is very unusual. Obviously, we do two episodes a month, but they very rarely come out on the same day. But uh, with the devastating news out of the US that Donald Trump has been elected president, we decided that uh, it was best to release this one today to uh, not only discuss the results of that with our wonderful guest, who is, uh, who is heavily involved in political satire, so there's a certain irony that uh, he's, he's here to talk merely hours after Donald Trump has been uh, sworn in as president. So we uh, we wanted to to bring you that discussion and just to show you how it affects or how it you know relates to one of our guests, but also because this is a light entertainment show, and that's what the world needs right now with the global economy in in disaster and minorities fearing for their safety. I think I think we all just need to enjoy the calm before the fight. Uh, whatever happens in the U.S. is not going to be good over the next four years and. We need to be preparing for the worst, uh, what that will be. Who knows? Because Donald Trump is one of the most unpredictable people ever. But um, unfortunately, he won, and, and how baffles myself and our guest today. Um, so in addition to our chat, we obviously talk about Will's career, his inspirations, his novel, and a whole lot more, and that's really fun and enjoyable, and Will's such a fantastic guest. And uh, I, we truly thank him for coming on the show today in, in, in such a dark hour. Um, so we start with, with the election and then move right away to uh, happier topics. So sit back, relax, and please try to enjoy today's episode of Benjamin Mamakay's Talk To Me. Well, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, no, great to be here. Well, well, be the other side of the world, but uh, <laughs> yeah, hello. The magic of technology. Uh, bringing us together from Australia and the UK. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Will, we uh, we do talk in essentially a time of, of crisis. Donald Trump has just been elected president of the United States. As yeah, someone who works there a, a fair bit with shows like Veep, how yeah. how is that going to affect your... Or how do you think that's going to affect your work and the people that you work with? Uh, I, I think... Well, I, I mean, I'm... This, this season, I'm... I'm uh, Writing from the UK, so I'm not I'm not with the the people in the room and uh, or on set, but I, I can tell you they're going to be very depressed and upset. Um, so I think some of them kind of predicted it when I when I was sort of speaking speak with them before. They'd be like, I think you could do it, and everyone else was like, no way. But I mean, there's they, they were all yeah, they they all wanted her to win. I can tell you that uh, that's that's <laughs> that's not any kind of inside knowledge really. I mean, it's I'm sure it's fairly obvious, but I mean, I'm, I'm most of Hollywood's. You know, I think it's, it's James Woods and John Boyd, uh, the only kind of out kind of Trump supporters, aren't they? I think that's um, about right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I, as far I don't think they're filming today. I think I think they've got a, a week's break and then filming again next week. So I think if it was on set, it would be. I think it would be hard. And um, I remember when the Brexit vote happened here, and uh, I w- I had a little part in a in a, in a film. Um, and when I went in for my kind of, uh, you know, after the Brexit vote, from, they were saying, you know, the actors were just so depressed and kind of freaking out on the morning of the breakfast vote. They were just in makeup, just not able to kind of focus or function. We just kind of, 
melting down basically because you know as with Trump um, it, they didn't foresee it and uh, and they didn't want it you know and I, you know I think broadly speaking the arts are not going to be happy about Trump. Mm, I, th- I think that's fair to say. I mean, is this America's way of trying to match to, to sort of match Brexit's level of stupidity? Are they are they trying to equal out with the UK? <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? I guess I saw some very funny tweets on those lines. Of, you know, uh, trying to out Brexit. I mean, I, that's what I found surprising because um, you know Nigel Farage, who's uh, you know loathsome uh, UK politician was uh, talking up Trump's chances on the back of Brexit and was going out there to kind of stump for him, even though he criticised Obama for coming over here and, and telling us to vote against Brexit, but Farage was, was supporting Trump. And um, uh, and Trump was saying, yeah, it's going to be Brexit plus, plus, plus. And, I, you know, I, I was just thinking, I can't see that. I just, you know, I I just couldn't see it. I, I mean, it's, partly because, you know, you follow the polls and you think, well, I mean, I, I just, what is the point of pollsters? I mean, let's let's just go back to entrails or something. This is this is this is not working, is it? I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, uh, were you were you staying up and monitoring the uh, the election and them calling the polls all night, or were you trying I, to get I some was, sleep? I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, I, I I was looking at the um, obviously I was following you know five thirty eight Nate Silver site throughout, and then and then people were sort of laying into him towards the end and sort of saying he was being too pessimistic about her chances and. So I'm sort of reading around that, thinking, oh, maybe it's even better than he thinks. And then, you know, then when it went into it, I was fairly optimistic. And then, and then the, just that creeping kind of dread took over. And it was from Florida, it was taking a long time to come through. And you could see, I was, I managed to get an ABC feed of it in, the, in London. And um, uh, you could see one of the, the, the kind of uh, the journalists who, who was kind of crunching the numbers on Florida was, was kind of going, well, it's, it's it's tight. He's ahead, but you know, Broyard County is that's still not, and that's always Democrat. And you could see. Clearly clinging to the hope, um, you know, underneath it all that it, it was going to go the other way. So I think it was when Florida started to uh, look like it wasn't going to happen, and I thought, well, you know, that's full of, you know, it's, it's got a large Hispanic and uh, you know Cuban population, so surely that's going to go for her after all that he said and said he's going to do. Um, and when that started to look like it wasn't going to happen, then I, I, I kind of sort of had an hour or so sleep around two in the morning, and then. And then woke up at various intervals, and it just got worse and worse. Um, yeah, so I yeah, I was just in and out, and I. It's so it was so stressful watching that map slowly become more and more red. I was I was sort of working all day with that in the background, and there was just this red wave going across the middle of America, and I think that was just the moment that my heart sort of hit the ground, and along with my jaw, really, it was. I, I just can't believe. You, you can't say things like that. Well, he's on trial for sexual assault and fraud in, like, two weeks. I think the sexual assault charge has been dropped, actually, but there's, there's Trump University coming up. I mean, there's any... any sing, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, obviously, but yeah, any single thing that he's done in this election would have knocked anyone else out, you know, straight away. Mm. Um, that, that's what's so bizarre. And... It, and also, I mean, even going into it in the night, I mean, you're talking about the red wave, but his own people were kind of talking it down and clearly, which again was what happened over here with Brexit, were kind of, you know, preparing to not concede, but you could see they were thinking it wasn't going to go their way. And Kellyanne Conway was going on about how well we never really got the support of the Republican Party. And, it, and you know, and there was all that, that stuff about the polls being rigged again. And, and you think, well, that, that's somebody who's being a sore loser and, and knows he's going to go down. And I, I you know, I'm... He, you just think he, he didn't 
probably thought he was going to win because he's insane. But I think the people around him didn't think he was going to win. Um, and that's what I find so bizarre about the night was it, I think it surprised both sides. Hmm. Um, it's just incredible. It's, it's, uh, it's scary. I'm going to do that a lot during this Sunday go, <laughs> well, the the thing is, obviously, you you write on Veep and you executive produce that show, which is a political satire. In a world yeah. where politics is is so scary and so simultaneously amusing, because everyone thought Trump being a presidential candidate was was quite funny to start with, then it became almost a nightmare, much like a clown. Um, how, how do you write political satire about the president that's funny when we've got such a a, a messed up state of affairs? It's well, it's hard because he he is kind of unspoofable, and um, and some of like when you read transcripts of some of the stuff he says and and the non sequiturs he goes through, that, and like if if you just if it, if it was a piece of if, if he was a fictional character, it would be a brilliant piece of comic writing. It would you know you kind of go that's it's so kind of all over the map that I don't know how because it, it's 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 hard to write convincing unpredictability. It's you know it's. Mm. You can't just throw a load of random stuff together. There is a, there's kind of I think there's an art and a craft to that. And um, he, you know, the stuff he comes out with, you go, that's that is brilliant. But I, I, I mean, there's kind of no point in satirising it because it's it's sort of self satire, isn't it? Really, but I mean, yeah. Alec Baldwin's gonna, you know, he's gonna do well out of this, isn't he? Um, <laughs> Somebody's gonna do well <laughs> out of this. That's what's so interesting is like I mean, every every major entertainer is against him. Every every you know, late night. Chat shows, but but again, yeah, I mean, it shows what limited power these people have. No, no one cares, you know, what the what the late night chat show hosts think. Uh, seemingly, and they don't care that he didn't get any endorsements from you know the major newspapers, uh, from any former presidents. I mean, he, I mean, he, you know, give him his due. He, he is definitely an outsider. I mean, nobody in Hollywood or Washington likes him or wants him to be to be president. Um, so I mean, culturally, it will be it'll be very interesting. Well, you know, I, mean, yeah. I was watching. I really love Bill Maher's um, uh, Real Time, and, and you know he was, you know, right on, you know, really panicking in the last one, and very very angry. And I just think, how's it's going to be four years of him going up against Trump every week, and you know, and Trump's so petty and vicious that God knows what he's going to try and do. I mean, he's he's such a score settler. That's you know what's. Yeah, I mean, it, we'll see. It, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. I, it, I, it shows the lack know. of. And like I said, because mm-hmm. he's so, I don't know how you satirize it. I just, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no one in Veep as appalling as him. If you if you put him in Veep, it would be too much. It's uh, people would be like, no, that, I mean, that guy wouldn't get elected. <laughs> just, <laughs> how would he exist? Well, I mean, Veep predicted a uh, an election slogan for an Australian for our Australian prime minister earlier this year which was remarkable and equally as concerning uh, i think at the same time continuity with change wasn't it it was continuity with change that doesn't make I believe, any sense i believe simon blackwell wrote that it was definitely in the episode that he and tony roach and i'm doing um co-wrote uh was it not in the last maybe i'm sorry i, I think is like, the thing with veep is so many episodes now and we do so many versions of the script and rehearse so many scenes and do kind of impro in the rehearsal and then impro on set and so I, I, I have like about eight different versions of each episode in my head of because we did so many versions so I, I, I actually as I was saying that's de- I definitely think that Simon wrote that um, but I'm not sure which episode it appeared mm. um, but yeah but somebody somebody used it which 
Uh, yeah, but but that happened with the show we did um, uh, about UK politics called Thick of It um, before before we all, we all did beat them. Um, and uh, uh, and the the, the 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 phrase on the shambles um, was used in that, and then MP, some MP used it in the House of Commons, and seemingly not knowing it had come from a show about MPs, and and that was a kind of a weird kind of fallback loop or feedback loop rather uh, that we couldn't get our heads around. So yeah, it's it's kind of worrying that you know. So the show can be yeah, that accurate. I was going to say, is, is it ever a goal to be as politically accurate as clearly those slogans and phrases have been? Because it, it is concerning when satire, albeit brilliant satire, can actually predict things politicians are saying in serious circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm like, Armando, who, who created Sigma Anvi, and, um, you know, kind of gave me my career, basically, so I own everything, and he's wonderful. And, and his, um, uh, his kind of uh, attitude on, on those shows is always that you had, to, you had to believe it, and it shouldn't feel like a sitcom, um, uh, and, it, you know, it had to be kind of credible. And so I think we kind of went for those, or, or he went for those kind of stories and characters and phrases that you, that you, you could buy into, and then... And then real life got more outlandish. And then, you know, the, the big thing over here was always, you know, during Brexit and during the last election was, oh, you guys should do some thick of it again, or this is even crazier than thick of it. And it just feels like it, you know, the reality sort of took what we did and ran with it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's confusing. Because mm. uh, <laughs> you kind of, like, you know, well, we're, we're trying to mock this so it doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> and then it just sort of happens more. Um, I you know I, it, it's kind of baffling because you, you I kind of thought things were headed in a more progressive uh, direction. Yeah, I mean, you, you think that, but I mean, is is more thick of it a possibility ever? I mean, it was a great no, show. Just, no, because Armando's man, I'm off. He's doing films now, and that's that's what he he loves doing that. And I think he, I, I don't think he go back to thick of it because I, I I think by the time we went on to Veep, he kind of he'd done enough of thick of it. And the thing with Veep was it it, it was. Yeah, you know, it was a, a new kind of uh, set of characters uh, and a new political system to work with, and, and also it was, a, it was a, a bigger budget, so it was it's just a much bigger canvas. And I think he's he's you know he, he's grown and grown, and, and, and I think film is the is the thing he really wants to do. He's got about I mean he's just finished um, he's editing the Death of Stalin at the moment, and then uh, he's got an adaptation of David Copperfield, and there, and there are at least two or three other projects I know he has on the slate. So. So it'll be, I think he. I think he's probably. I mean, I can't, you know, speak from a hundred percent. But I, I, I think he's probably done with TV for a while, and, and probably done with politics for a while. Hmm. Um, you know, but great. You know, he'll go off and do other amazing stuff. So you know, I can't wait to see it all. Of course not. And he stepped away from Veep in the showrunner role in the last season. Yeah. But it, mm. it. I think it must be the only show on television to maintain quality through a showrunner change directly. I mean, there are shows that have had dips and then come back, but sort of Veep came in ex- you know, at where it left off, if not better. How was that change made so seamless? Uh, well, I mean, I think it helps having, having the cast be as amazing as they are or on top of the, their game as they are. They, they know the voices of those characters. And I think they really helped the, the new um, uh, writers kind of, they help get, get the voice of the show. And, 
Yeah, I mean, Armando, it's basically, you know, he, he, he's very tiring. He's basically commuting to the States you know, to kind of make the show. So it's kind of partly like, you know, just kind of, just kind of unsustainable um, from that point of view. But, um, but you know, but Dave Mandel came in and, uh, you know, just, just completely, completely took it on. And, and it's been great to see him step into that role and kind of, you know, with real confidence and, you know, the, the season now, which will be the second season with Dave and, you know, with the, uh, the American writers, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's real kind of, um, there's real confidence in what they're doing, which is, which is great. So, so, I mean, it's, I, I would be intimidated t- taking over, you know, uh, a show like that. But then, Dave, you know, look at the pedigree that Dave comes from. I mean, you know, it's something like live. It's Seinfeld, it's Cooper enthusiasm. So, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, but, but, you know, I think it, it's, it's hard to kind of, maintain the voice of a show but also uh and feel like you're adding something to it but uh, you know he, he completely uh, he completely pulled it off mm. and uh, you said you're writing for this season from the uk mm. does that mean your involvement yeah. is is lesser or are you still going to be penning an episode or two uh, i'm not going to be penning an episode because last season i i co-wrote i wrote on two of them and and then we were also kind of working from here and also i was going over a lot on set kind of uh sort of a, doing a week a month for the second half of the year really and it's just um it, it's a bit too much i've got a young family and you know um I, you know it's just hard um but uh you know i'm, I'm lucky enough that um uh, dave's asked me to stay on and kind of punch up the scripts uh from here which is wonderful so i, I don't want to say goodbye to those characters and those actors because i mean uh you know any one of that cast could front a sitcom on their own and you know, and you put them all together. And I mean, I don't. Th- I'd be incredibly lucky if I ever work with a cast as uh, amazing as this again. So I kind of don't want that to end. Um, so even though, even though I'm not kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll see it when it's all edited and done. But it's it's great reading the scripts as they're as they're coming in and and just hearing the characters, hearing the voices, and just knowing how brilliantly the actors are going to deliver those lines. Mm, and I mean, uh, one of the episodes that you wrote uh, or co-wrote last season, I think is the highest rated episode of Veep on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think it was, which I can say on this podcast because I can censor it later. Um, <laughs> but where, where does an idea, I mean, that episode was so wonderfully unique and the, the timing of the comedy was great. Where does an idea like that, which is rather obscure, spring from? God, I, again, this, this is uh, you know, testament to how kind of layered and uh and kind of um not complicated i'm trying to think of the word just the writing of a veep episode it's it's really hard to go back through the layers and like i say like i in some sometimes i'm like i'll watch an episode and i'll be convinced there's a scene in it that that either we didn't shoot or we did shoot was edited out or it, it's 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 a blur so i i <laughs> it's really hard for me to pick back to specific episodes and go where did that come from because it's Especially last season, because it was, you know, I, when we when it was done from the UK, we would um, we'd probably meet at the start of a season. Armando would sort of have broad ideas for the series arc and maybe some specific ideas for stories, and then we kind of work them out individually, or we'd be paired up. And but we wouldn't really sort of meet again as, as a group. We'd we'd be out on set, and there'd be sort of three or four of us at a time, but we wouldn't all be together as one whereas um uh the last season with dave was was much more the kind of writer's room model so it's kind of 12 people in a room um working on stuff and kind of chucking stuff in so and again it, it just it kind of 
takes on a life of its own after a while and you can't it's just so hard to remember where where all the stuff comes from so as as to where that i'm going to be really disappointing as to where that specific idea um came from i i i can't I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> well, you've you've talked a lot about the scripts and how layered they are. It, it makes them sound fascinating, and I'd love to read them. Do you think a book of scripts would ever be a, a possibility, just so people can see the changes or the, the layers? Uh, it, it would be a very big book because you do um, you, you do multiple drafts, like I say, uh, in the writing bit, and then you do read-throughs of the actors, and then off the back. It gets rewritten, then you rehearse it, and again off the back of that, and then on set, you know, like uh, you'd be what I'm doing from the UK is giving you know, what they call alts. So I'll, I'll just write, you know, two or three alternate lines to, you know, what are already brilliant jokes, but I, I, you know, it's just like, oh, this might be a different way of doing it, or other idea, or whatever. So it's just kind of extra stuff they can choose from. So, I yeah, I mean, we used to, I mean, like I remember with like. Um, uh, the last Armando series, that it's something he, they developed as a system where they would have all the versions of the scripts printed out in massive ring binders, and you, you know, and and it would be one episode would be rammed, and sometimes it would go on to kind of two ring binders because when you're getting to the you know twentieth, thirtieth draft or whatever, it's just you know, and they and they were, they were long, they would be long scripts as well because. Uh, you know, this, again, this, the cast are amazing. I mean, there's so many of them now, and not just the, the kind of uh, the core cast. We've got fantastic regulars, like you know, you know like um, uh, Dan Bacadal and, and uh, you know, who come in, and, and so you always kind of want to service them, you want to write for them. So the episodes would be long, and then they come down in the edit. But and you know, I'm honest, it was always just to have a, as many options as possible in the edit, and so. So a book of scripts would be fascinating, but would be, uh, you know, uh, David Foster Wallace length. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that sounds like a, a complicated process. You, um, you mentioned earlier that... I'll tell you that what's amazing about this, Armando's uh, mind, when, when, I mean, I remember when we were doing... Um, I can remember this, actually. It was the first episode of season four, I'm thick of it. But I remember, he, you know, he, he is able to go, when, you, when you're shooting a scene, to go... And I thought there was there was definitely a line in a, in like draft twenty seven or whatever, or he'd be able to kind of pinpoint a line that he remembered that has got lost in the rewrites that he wants back in, and it, you know, so he's kind of it, it is complicated, but he was always across it all. Yeah, that's remarkable. Now I I noticed that uh, with the thick of it, uh, additional material to the cast was a was a credit on <clears> every episode. So are both shows sort of improv friendly to a degree i think there was more there was more on the thick of it I th- and, and, and it kind of settled down a bit and be, i mean purely it was more logistic i mean there was re- you do sort of improv in rehearsal and and they're, they're all amazing improvisers a lot of them are uh you know from kind of you know uh ucb and and, and second city which and we don't have that kind of tradition over here so it's been really interesting working with people who do that and a lot of the guest stars will come from like Tempo backgrounds as well, um, so, so they could all just do that to like the most incredible degree. But with Veep, it would be kind of running out of time. But it'd be logistics. It would be like you wouldn't have the time to mess around quite as much. Whereas, think of it. I mean, we had a lot to get through, but it was more kind of guerrilla style. It was you know two cameras, we're filming in three rooms. That's it. And you, you, so we'd always think of it the way, the way it would work would be 
uh, you do kind of two or three takes, and then Amanda would be like, all right, I've, I've got all that I need to, you know, edit that scene together. And um, so now do a version of it where you get across the same information in your own words, or just a kind of, you know, just a free take. And then that would be woven in, and you know, and, and a, a fairly high proportion of that would be used. And um, and I think now with Veep, it's more. I think they might do that in the rehearsal on set. I think I think things will get thrown in and changed. But you know, um, but I, I I mean I'm not there at the moment, so so I can't speak to, to how it's running right now. But but it kind of we, it was less free takes. I think um, it was more. Yeah, but but the improv was still. A part of it, and and uh, and the cast always, you know, great notes, great ideas, great instincts. So they did, you know, an integral part of the creative process. Mm. And and with thick of it, you were the only writer to actually appear as a character in the show. How did that yes. come about? Uh, well, uh, well, I was asked to write on it. Me and my writer partner uh, Roger Drew, we were asked to, to to write on it after we were working on a show called Time Trumpet with Armando, and he and uh, he. Said to write a thicker, which is absolutely on the next series. Because um, he, he'd done two kind of batches of three, he'd done. So there were only six episodes, um, and he was, had a thicker commission for eight. And he asked us to write, write on it. Um, and and then there, there was, you know, one of the cast members had uh, a legal uh, legal problem. They were arrested, and, they, and Amanda wanted to give them time to clear their name, which unfortunately they, they, they didn't do, and um, so they were kind of out of the show, but while, while he was waiting for the, that kind of trial to work its way through, he did uh, some kind of one-off specials, hour-long specials, to um, uh, you know, to kind of keep it going. Uh, and that was where the, the, this character emerged, and, and uh, as, as I understand it, they were, cause I come from a stand-up background and have done um, uh, bits of acting, and uh, uh, but they kind of sort of describing the character and I think one of the writers said oh it's a bit like Will um, and so I ended up auditioning for the character who was called Phil Smith unimaginatively um, so it was kind of like auditioning slightly for myself but and so it, I'm glad I, and I wasn't writing on it at that point that was, so I, I luckily got it because I would have been annoyed if it was a character like me that I never got to play uh, and then um, and then the, the series after that I was I was now in the cast and and also and that's when I started to write on it after that, uh, which was incredible because it was always my kind of dream when I was at school. And, you know, I'd be kind of reciting Blackadder Black in the playground with my friends that I'd get to do a show like that. And it's, the idea of being part of a, a troupe really appealed to me, a kind of gang. And I, I got to do that on both sides of the camera, really, for, 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 for think about it. I was, you know, I was right to get in it. I mean, so everything else is a, is a total bonus for me now. I kind of feel that's... Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I got to do that, and yeah, I'm very proud of it. It was such a such a happy time, and also, yeah, I was writing it with, you know, what I was saying, talking about acting out or reciting Blackadder in the playground. One of my school friends, Roger, was was writing on it with me. So, so yeah, total total dream come true, really. Mm. Working on that, a really wonderful experience. And obviously, Peter Capaldi played Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it. Um, is it weird to see him doing a children's show now, considering how <laughs> sweary he was? <laughs> but he's, I mean, I loved him before. I, one of my favourite films uh, and soundtracks is, is Local Hero, uh, which yeah, he's wonderful in. And so you, I'm just... Because he kind of, like, I mean, the thick of it kind of gave him kind of second, um, second wind, really, for it, uh, as part of his career. But he was already kind of known and established and so he kind of has a range anyway but that part was Tucker was just 
unbelievable. And he, he, he was so amazing. But like by the end, he would be able to come into a room and, you know, in the script, it'd be kind of, you know, he'd say he was coming in and he'd insult three people and then, you know, as he comes in. He, yeah, he could do four takes of that and give you a different insult improvised each time, which would all be brilliant. I mean, he really he just knew the character, felt the character, and, yeah, it's, yeah, just... Mm-hmm just such an amazing iconic experience so it's no it's fantastic to see him doing everything he's doing uh he, he was so nice to me when i you know um when i started acting on it because i mean if i think about it i mean really if i've you know been a bit more aware of what was happening i mean i was very lucky actually going to act on it because because i knew armando and i and i knew all the writers uh from years ago i knew chris allison from stand-up and so I felt comfortable. I mean, a lot of actors coming into it, you know, uh, could feel kind of intimidated. And I was intimidated, but not, you know, you kind of had that cushion of knowing people around me. But if I'd have really known, if I'd have just been thrown into the scenes with Roger Allen, who, again, is amazing, you know, a, a proper, a genuinely brilliant actor, you know, and, and I'm in a scene with him. I mean, it was kind of, I think, I don't know, naivety or whatever, or ignorance probably just carried me through. But, but Peter was so nice to do I just remember him when we finished shooting that first special that I did, just taking me aside afterwards and just saying very nice things. And, and it was, he didn't have to, um, but he did. He, but he made me feel very welcome and very appreciated. So he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's one of the good guys. It's always nice to hear that uh, it's, it's a nice environment to work in on set. Yeah, oh, it was wonderful. Uh, yeah, both Thicker and Veep in terms of the cast and the writers, just, you know, just, just great. Mm. Well, look, I mean, both... I mean that's on, yeah, Armando doesn't hire people who are going to be dicks. You know, it's mm. not worth it. He kind of he, he wants a, he wants a good atmosphere and he wants he wants nice people. Yeah, and and obviously that's reflected in the quality of the shows. Both shows hugely successful. I mean, Veep has won you two Emmys. I mean, what do you yeah. what do you think are the key elements to make a TV series successful? I th- I think it's. Um... It's 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 respecting the you know the, the the writing and the you know and the directing. It's it's letting the showrunner. I mean, we don't really have showrunners in Britain. I mean, there's Stephen Moffat actually doing Doctor Who and Sherlock is the kind of closest to a showrunner. But uh, in general, like in America, if you write if you write the show, you, you kind of run it. You're producing it as well. Whereas over here, uh, they want you as far away as possible from the show. Really, you're not you're not made to feel. Um, you're just not part of the production in, in a way and it's kind of like they, it's kind of taken away from you and somebody else makes it basically whereas in America that you know, they see the vision through but I, I, I certainly believe in a, in a, a light editorial touch I think if you've got somebody like I don't know somebody like Dave Mandel let them get on with it and you know they're, they're bright guys they will take notes if, if they want to and if they need to uh, but don't tell them their job. If you're going to hire someone to do a job, let them do the job. Otherwise, you know, why don't you do it? <laughs> just, you know, you know what I mean. I, I just think, I think that that's where the best stuff comes from, and that and and, uh, and also working for Amanda was a tremendous boost for my confidence, seeing how he would kind of know roughly what he wanted from like a series or an episode or a character. He'd know the feel of it or where he wanted to end up, but he would completely trust himself to fill in the blanks. So he's kind of he, he's you know he's following the muse in that sense. He's kind of like I kind of I understand the shape of it. I don't have the detail, but I'll get it. And and you know if he wasn't who he was, and if he didn't have the track record he was, uh, and he was like that, you can imagine 
certain networks or executives you know, demand that he fills it in and tells him exactly what he's doing every step of the way and they would try and kind of correct him as he does it whereas you know I think guys like that and, and you know just let them do it and, and luckily I mean HP are amazing to work with because uh, they, if they've hired you to do it it's because they think you can do it they're not going to they, they're not going to hold your hand unless you ask them to hold your hand and they, they do give notes but it's always from a kind of um, it's not prescriptive it's kind of like you know you don't have to do this this is what we think it might help you and so it's immediately disarming and uh, you know and they're all really bright smart people so their notes are always you know right on the money so it's it, it, you know I, I, I think that that's the key to it is picking people and letting them do it you know mm. um, yeah well obviously speaking of the network HBO Game of Thrones mm. and Veep have sort of always gone hand in hand release date wise yeah. um, and I think that Game of Thrones has been delayed a little bit this coming I, year they, they need snow on the ground ah uh, Winter is coming, and they need snow. So, so yeah, we're going to be un, un, unconsciously uncoupled from uh, Game of Thrones. I, th- I think next season of Veep will go out, I think, in, um, uh, as usual in the spring, and I think Game of Thrones is going out around July, but I'm not totally sure of that. But, okay, uh, so, yeah, you're not, uh, not pairing together for the mm, seventh, seventh? Am I right in saying seventh year? I know. It's a, it's a fun combination to, you know, have Game of Thrones as our warm-up, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the show, yeah, the, the Game of Thrones opens for Veep. It's always the way you watch them too. I've never watched Veep before Game of oh, Thrones. Really? Oh, that's interesting. And how's that? How, what's that like as a, a viewing experience? Is it? It's. Is it, a, is it like relief, or are you? Is it, it still? Oh, it's dense and political. Or I, I, I like I like watching Veep. I, I I like finishing on a on a comedy, even if it's a you know a yeah. darker or more real comedy, because. The world is just depressing enough, and as much as I love Game of Thrones, and I mean, even at the moment, Walking Dead, yeah. you know, they're, they're just, they're hard, heavy-hitting dramas, and people are just dying everywhere, so it's nice to sort of, yeah, yeah just to sort of come to a laugh. I mean, that, yeah. the, the episode of Veep that I always love, because I get sent all the... All, I sent I get sent everything to promote or mention or review, including both Veep and uh, and Game of Thrones. And the episode of Veep that I loved the most was, I think there was a, a tie in the election, and um, oh, yeah. I was about to say House, but uh, Hugh Hugh Laurie was in it, and yeah. he was him and Julia Louis Dreyfus together, maybe the best unusual comedy pairing I've ever seen, and I just remember. L- laughing for for minutes after it had finished because it was just so beautifully performed and I think that you're right it goes back to the t- to how great the actors are but it is yeah. an unusual way to to watch you know shows Game of Thrones and Veep but HBO sort of made the right call I think all those years ago yeah yeah I I don't know what we'll be going with next actually it'll be interesting what they what they think is a good pairing I I, I don't know what else they've got really in a, in a weird way I mean obviously Westworld's on now but I can't think of another show that, another hour show no. that they could pair you with no I don't know yeah I don't know what they're I mean I'm sure they'll, they'll have plenty of uh, you know shows to fill the Game of Thrones gap lined up um, but yeah which I can't wait I can't wait to see what they're going to do I mean yeah this is such a great network but um, but yeah it, it will be odd hmm it's going to be very odd when Game of Thrones finishes. It's just <laughs> that's that's been a big part of all our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, I mean the books have been around for forever, but the show's been yeah. here for six years, and it's sort of you just expect ten, ten new hours of Game of Thrones every year. Yeah, 
There's no reason you don't have to just keep it going. It's fine. <laughs> there'll be a, there'll a, be a prequel or spin-off or something. I'm sure. Yeah, I think they have mentioned that, haven't they? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think they've said, "Oh, we we don't want to kind of you know milk it." But if there was, if the idea was right, we'd do it. Which of course, you know, of course they would. Just yeah. Let, just let's be let's yeah. yeah. Be honest with it with the talent that they've got writing for for all their shows. I'm sure they can come up with a clever creative idea that continues that that story. I mean, yeah. th- there's a lot of George R. R. Martin has has left a lot of map to be explored when you look at those Game yeah. of Thrones books. <laughs> it's a lot of world. Yeah. Well, speaking of books, you yourself wrote one which came out in paperback earlier this year. Was, I did. Yes. Was that a yes. very different? experience from writing tv or stand-up it, yeah it was i mean i've, I've always um uh kind of I, I kind of wanted to do everything when i was growing up so i wanted to write i wanted to act i wanted to do comedy and um and, and writing was a part of it so i mean you know I, like growing up my, my heroes were like you know laurel hardy john cleese um george elliott and charlotte bronte yeah i was really cool uh, so I, you know, so, so writing's always always been there for me. So I, I had done, uh, I, I think I've written three or four other 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 books, and they're probably more novella length than full novels. But I, I have, I, it wasn't the first book, Mainland, which is the book I, I did write. It's not, um, it's not the first, it's, it's the first novel I've had published, but not the first novel I've written, and not the book I published. Actually, I had some comedy books published as well. Um, but that impulse has always been there, and um, it, it kind of came out because uh, I, the other books, most of them were kind of, I was trying to write kind of comic novels, and I couldn't quite get into work, and, uh, and there was one, the last one I was doing, which was kind of a kind of contemporary satire, and I, was, I delivered the latest draft to my agent, and I kind of knew that in my heart, I, I could just sense, I don't think he's going to go for it, and I wanted to be on to the next thing, to have something else to kind of focus on, to take away the sting of disappointment when... And as he did, he, he kind of said he didn't, didn't think he could do anything with it. Uh, and so I just started writing this book, uh, the, 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 this scene with this this guy, this um, a teacher in Jersey, which is an island of France where I grew up, uh, sitting on a rock, you know, looking at the waves on a, you know, at the bottom of a cliff, uh, stewing over a row he's just having his wife, uh, who's a local, this guy's a mainlander, he's a teacher at school, and he spots somebody... Uh, uh, near the edge of a cliff, a young boy, and looks like he's going to jump, so he interrupts the kid. Um, it's too awkward to actually talk about what was going on, so he drops him home, but thinks, no, I, I should find out if there's anything wrong in his life, see what's going on, see if he was thinking of jumping, whatever. Uh, but then the next day, the kid doesn't turn up to school, and that, that's kind of the, the kind of motor, the kind of story motor of the, of the book. Um, but it was a, you know, so I kind of had the character, and I had the, the setting, and, and then I, I was writing without jokes, and, and, and I thought, i I'm going to pursue that. It just felt uh, a really uh, interesting and, and good challenge for me to not have to rely on, on you know, uh, comic dialogue, which you know I, I, I think comes you know fairly easy to me. So it, it was having to think of and not think of comedy plots and having to think of kind of stories in a different way. Uh, and I just really really enjoyed that, and also because I'm starting to kind of write drama as well, and so it was just all that. It just adds to the you know, as to the palette, really. Mm. Um, I think it helps, you know, it's been really helped my kind of screenwriting, dealing on a long form like a novel, and I think writing features has really helped my novel writing, and, you know, the plotting sitcoms helps plot 
thrillers and vice versa. It just all kind of I, I'm I'm really interested in all of it, and it all it all helps. It all helps make me better. Um, but I, I really I loved writing the book. I loved having sole responsibility for everything. Um, I mean, I love collaborating, love being part of the team, and it was it was just a different space, creative space I could go to where, you know, it was all down to me. Um, and I, you know, and I, I really really loved that. And are you interested in pursuing another dramatic novel project in the future? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the, the Mainlander is it's set in 1987 because um, it, it builds up. There was a, a great storm uh, that year that, that kind of flattened the island, so it builds up to that and the Black Monday crash. And the plan has always been to kind of follow the, the characters because it's kind of um, multiple points of view, so it's kind of all these interlinking characters, and the, the plan is to follow them dropping in on their lives every couple of years. So I, ha- I have... Uh, the next one outlined in enough detail to write and, and a further two in, in enough detail that I know what happens. Uh, and so I would love to, if, if the sales allow at some point to, uh, uh, to write more of these characters. It's also been an option for TV. So there's, there's a possibility that um, can, uh, can become a drama. Uh, so, I mean, I've got other, other dramas uh, in development and been commissioned and things I'm working on. So, so in terms of non-comedy projects, I've kind of, you know that, that's catered for in terms of writing a different novel other than go, going back to you know a mainlander sequel uh i'd love to do it i'm sure i will but it, it, it's time it, because i mean to write a novel you i mean these days if you want to be published you have to write it first unless you're a name and i'm, I'm not enough of a name to get a commission to write something i have to i have to write it and then sell it and so that's a good two years of my life writing that it might not get published um and so i have to find something where i'm i'm it wouldn't matter if it didn't get published. I have, to, I have to be prepared to write it and nobody ever read it and still come away feeling positive about the experience. So once I find that thing, I, I, I'm sure I will write another novel, but um, it'll be hard to find the time amongst the other stuff I've got going on at the moment. But it's, you know, it's definitely something I, I, I want to do more of, yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of, of dramas, you're actually acting in a, in a series called Hampstead with one of our previous guests, Jason Watkins. You... Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was in, he was in uh, thick of it scene actually that got cut. Uh, he's a brilliant. I mean, you know, he doesn't need me to say it. He's brilliant actually. A brilliant improviser as well. He's ah, oh, just he's off the scale. Brilliant that guy. Um, but yes, yes. I had Hampton's a film. It was I uh, and I had a, I had a scene with Brendan Gleeson, which uh, uh, was incredible because I yeah I think he's one of the greatest actors around and and Diane Keaton is in the movie uh, so I, I got to sit in a read through with her so again it's just these moments where I just got to go how did this happen how did I end up here this is this is great this is this is enough I'm you know I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm happy it's wonderful what 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 inspired you to sort of go down this this career that is well I know that is utterly insane it's not an easy world to work in so what what brought about the the love and the passion for it uh, I, I mean, I, I can remember, in terms of comedy, I can remember seeing a specific episode of Laurel and Hardy, which is the perfect day in, in my grandmother's lounge, and my dad saying, oh, these two, these, these are funny guys, watch this, and watching it, and just it switching on a light somewhere. It, just, it was just like, oh, this is it. And I, I, still, I still think they're two of the greatest actors to ever uh, appear on screen, not not just greatest comedians, which they are, greatest actors. I, I think Oliver Hardy and Stan Laurel, 
just as, as good as it gets. And it was from then I, I just wanted to do comedy. And um, and and then I don't know. It was it was just there. It was I, I, it, and it was it's like I could not do it, which sounds incredibly pretentious, but. Um, I was, I was always pushing it, always doing it, and uh, you know, I put on kind of sketch shows at school and did magazines at school. I made films in the holidays with friends, and then when they weren't around at university and I couldn't find people to kind of you know want to do kind of sketch and film stuff there, um, I um, that started doing stand up because you know one of my heroes was Ben Elton, and you know I knew that he'd wanted to be a writer and had done stand-up as a vehicle for his writing so I was like well, and I, I did love stand-up but not it wasn't like oh that's the thing I, I, I have to do it was kind of it was an element of many things I wanted to do and so I started doing stand-up as a, as a way into the writing really and then that kind of took off and um, that became one of the main things I was doing and, but then the writing was in tandem and then it was kind of falling with Armando which which kicked the writing career up you know several levels um, and then in tandem with that, also trying to write novels. It's, um, but you know, it was, it's because I'm not doing stand up now. And it's, it's quite interesting, you know, when you're saying, you know, what, what drives you and makes you do it. Because, um, I mean, I can remember, I can remember specifically like at school doing a, a having su such nerves backstage at this, this kind of review show we were doing that, that, that I've not wanted to go on stage, but wanted to go on stage. Just the overwhelming fear and, having to kind of tell my legs to walk me onto the stage uh, to, to make them move because, you know, I kind of wanted to do it, but was terrified. And then it went great. And But I still always had that when I was performing for the first couple of years, just, just I'd get nervous the week before and that would build up and build up. And it would be like, well, why? But it was, it was a compulsion. It was like, you know, I, I had to, I couldn't not do it, um, even though it was filling me with terror. Um but then the, those nerves kind of dissipate. Oh, you know, you do it enough, and you think, well, chances are it's going to be all right, and I can do this now. Um, but it was, it, it, it definitely felt like a like a calling, like a, you know, this is this is this is the thing I'm going to do. But that said, I'm now not doing stand up. Like once the kids came along and once Beat was taking off, I couldn't um, write in the day, kind of like an office job hours writing, and then go out and do you know, two shows on a Thursday, four on a Friday, five on a Saturday, get back from the, get off stage in the comedy store at half two in the morning, get back home at half three, get to sleep at four or five in the morning, and then get up with the kids. It was just, I just couldn't, I couldn't sustain that. And so, so the, the stand-up kind of, kind of went, and that need to do it also kind of dissipated. No, I, I you know, I thought about this, and I think it's partly having kids and feeling that you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're getting your, your love fix. You know, I'm happily married with children. I, I have love in my life, so I, I didn't need the kind of the, the stranger love. <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but um, and it was also you know doing things like beat, but just such a tremendous opportunity. I'm not going to go. Oh, I can't do that because I've got some club gigs. Um, so yeah, so it's just yeah, it's weird. It's, it's weird looking back and thinking I did stand up for nearly 20 years or whatever, and now I'm not doing it. Um, but who knows? Would you do it again though? I mean, you know, say twenty years time, the kids are grown up, and you're you're <laughs> yeah, left without that, that 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 you know love. Yeah, I mean, I really I miss the people. I miss the comics. I miss the people who run the gigs. I miss the people who work on the door. Um, I I mean, I don't miss the the, the kind of travel and the all of that. And um, and that's the thing because the thing with stand up is it leads to more stand up. So I was kind of looking at you know as my writing career was taking off, it was also well if I was going to. You know, because I was mainly just doing. I had done some 
touring on my own at kind of you know but at kind of low kind of art center level and yeah off the back of doing shows in edinburgh which went went pretty well and i'd done supports for some big names like um like ricky chavez and um Adler hanlon and, and um and Johnny Vegas and people. So I, I kind of done sort of some bigger shows. I had a, I had a taste of that. But if I wanted to get to that level, I you know, it would like I would have had to take you know, nine months to do another Edinburgh show. You have to do the panel shows on TV. And you kind of think, well, I, I do all that and it is something I love doing, but at the same time, that's going to take me away from my family. The end result of that is I'm on the road for four months. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be as happy about that as I would have been when I was single and didn't have kids. So it became a thing where I was, you know, thinking I'm not, not even sure if I, I'm not sure if I want that anymore. Uh, I, I'd also, you know, um, my stand-up was never. It was kind of like character comedy, but a lot of full-on character. But like, like my Edinburgh shows, my hour-long shows, my touring shows would be structured like long sitcom episodes. So there would be a, there would be a narrative arc, and I would be using multimedia, and there'd be, it would all be kind of called back and. It, it was like a show, really, and and off the back of which I then did radio versions of some of those shows, kind of radio kind of series, um, and 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 I love writing for me, and I love doing those shows. I love doing the radio shows, the radio sitcoms I did, but the other writing that I was doing, it, you know, I'm writing for lots of different voices, and I, you know, I think when my time became so kind of under pressure, it was like mine was the voice I kind of let fall away because you know it's it kind of as a writer i thought i'll grow more it's more interesting for, to write for a plethora of voices rather than just me so i mean i am still in there with the characters that i write in various things but it's you know i'm not the face of it um but i'm kind of happy with that mm. now I, i'm going to go to just a couple of sort of listener submitted questions and oh yeah, so this is something we do through Twitter. And, I mean, I think this first one might be a bit hard for you. Do you have a favourite out of Veep or The Thick of It? A what? A favourite sh- A favourite show. show. I'm not going to choose the show. No, I can't choose between the shows. That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I mean, my favourite one that I was in would be The Thick of It. But, <laughs> no, that is so, it's so hard because... Uh, yeah, I, I can't. That's like you start asking to choose between your kids, you know, because uh, I don't have to choose. They can still both exist. I, I love them both and the people that are involved. And um, I can't, no, I can't. They're, they're, that, that's joint first. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair. And, and the other one which I found a little bit amusing was, um, have you ever been booked for a gig thinking you were the other Will Smith? Uh, no, not no, not be booked. It's, ma- it's mainly on Twitter now. People will kind of tweet me things or put me in lists where I'm <laughs> clearly not the person they think I am, even though I have my face as the photo on my uh, Twitter page. No, no, I no, no, I've never, I never turned up. I, ne- I never quite got to arena level, uh, <laughs> so I don't think that was ever, ever going to happen. I do, no, actually, I do remember though. When I, I, I was a guest on like a, a kind of late night chat show over here that, that it wasn't getting the best guests because it wasn't on the the most prominent channel. And, you know, they were having to bring in audiences from like, uh, you know, other the overspill basically from other shows that, that didn't even know what they were going to. And I do remember somebody, uh, my friend Roger actually, who was also writing on the show, being at the back and hearing somebody yelling at the person who, take them into the show so you tell me it was Will Smith that guy is not Will Smith what the fuck is going on he's getting really cross about it but yeah I've never walked out in front of the audience and had them all 
had the front row walk out going, oh, no, not him. So, yeah. <laughs> Probably best for, for I'm self-esteem. Sure he gets it more than me. Of uh, course, yeah, naturally. <laughs> uh, so, so in summary, what projects have you got lined up that our listeners can look forward to seeing your writing or seeing you or reading your work? Uh, well, I'm, yeah, it's Mainlander, the, the novel is out. I'd love it if people uh, bought and, and read that. So I can where can people it. buy it? Yeah, where can, where can people yeah. buy it? Although it's on... Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, it's a bit, it, I, it, was, it was sold to the Commonwealth countries, so it should, it should be accessible in Australian bookstores. Uh, otherwise, Amazon uh, and Kindle um, are probably the easiest, um, easiest places to find it. Um, so I guess I'm doing that. I'm, I'm doing the big season six, doing punch up on that. I've, I've just done a sitcom that I uh, that it was created by Joe Brand and Moana Banks, but they got me on to help write it uh, called Damned, which was uh, uh, about social workers, which was a fantastic experience. I'm very proud of the show. So if people can catch that, that, that and I have a small cameo in episode six of that, but you, you should watch it. And and that has an amazing cast as well. It really. Really brilliant British cast. I really hope we get a second series of that and we do it at the same time again next year. Um, I've also, <clears throat> uh, another book recommendation, I've, I've um, uh, adapted a pilot script uh, uh, based on a spy thriller called Slow Horses by a guy called Mick Heron. And he has a series of these books. And it's about this department of MI5 uh, that, that where, called Slough House. And it's where they send all the, all the burnouts and the people who've screwed up, the people who've left you know, confidential documents on buses and all that sort of thing. So it's, so it's kind of useless spies uh, all sitting out their time. Uh, and that's, I think that's terrific. And I really, really hope that that um, goes ahead somewhere because uh, Mick's written um, two, uh, three more books in that series. So that would be a great ongoing thing to do. And uh, it would also bring the books to an even wider audience. I mean, they're doing really, really well in the UK now. They do well in America, but um, they deserve to be widely read. It's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's Le Carre-esque, um, but with a kind of uh, sardonic twist. So, so yeah, so there's that. And... Uh, I've got some you know, sitcom with Channel 4, another thing with the BBC, another drama that I'm working on. Um, and Hampstead, the film, I have a small small role in that. That will be out next year, I think. Um, yeah, so quite a few things. You keep yourself busy. And where can people find you online, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and things like Twitter, that? On Twitter, I'm Will Smith Writer. Uh, and Facebook, I'm, uh, I'm just Will Smith, I think. I've, Facebook is... It's not like I. It's really I, I. I don't even know how many friends I. I just sort of accept anyone. So everyone. So, uh, uh, but yeah, tw- I, I, yeah, Twitter is is the sort of uh, easiest place to, to find me. Sure. And I'm in my picture. I'm uh, I'm I'm. I don't look like the Hollywood Will Smith. That's a clue if you've got the right one. And also, I, I'm standing next to Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. So so if you're trying to find the right Will Smith, I'm the one with Paulie Walnuts. That's a great criteria. I'll just sort of put that next to the uh, the, the, the poster. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> well, look, thank you very much for your time today, Will, and talking to us oh, in uh, this this dark day. That was my chat with Will Smith, who is a wonderful guest, and I do encourage you to go out and buy his book and look into both Veep and The Thick of It if you haven't seen them. They are truly brilliant shows. Well, that's all for us today and for this month. Uh, as always, thanks to our supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas, Mad Zombie Collectibles and Via Vision Entertainment. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BenjaminMM underscore and also find Preacher's Podcast online and on stage and myself over on Facebook 
by searching our retrospective names. And also, if you have the uh, the money, please don't forget to donate to the show. Help keep us afloat. Well, I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay, and we'll see you for more exciting episodes in December. See you then. <laughs>